And so I want to go back to the, the scriptures that Virginia read. If you have a Bible, it's page one. All right. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, we have some on these tables around the room. If you don't have one, don't own one, you're welcome to just grab one and take it home. We would love for you to have it. Uh, but if you have your Bible, open it up to Genesis uh, chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at verse 26 and 27. Again, Virginia read this, but the text says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So I want to explore this scripture, and I want to explore what it means for our church, what it means for me, hopefully what it means for you. And I want to start off by looking at the words uh, image and likeness, because those words are actually critical to who we are as a community, who E3 is as a community. And, and essentially, I would tell you this, oh, by the way, there's going to be a lot of Hebrew coming at you today. You guys like awake, had some coffee. We're going to get into some Hebrew. There's going to be a lot of it coming. It's going to start right now. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So when uh, the text says, uh, when, when God says, we're going to make mankind, humankind, in our image, that word is tselem. Let me hear you say tselem. Uh, tselem is just a Hebrew word that means a likeness of something else. It is used often in the Old Testament to indicate an idol that is made in the likeness of a god. Okay, so God is kind of using the language appropriate to that time. We're going to make something that resembles me, that has a likeness to me. Then he says we're going to make, uh, he used it in the, the, the English, it's translated as likeness. That Hebrew word is uh, demuth. Let me hear you say demuth. Up north they would say demuth is out in the forest. No, I'm kidding. Dad joke. So, um, so that also means likeness, resemblance, okay? Now, where it starts to get really interesting uh, for us as a church and hopefully for you as a human being is that um, the Bible, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew mostly, right? And so uh, eventually Greek becomes the language of the whole region where the Bible is taking shape. And so the Jewish people, they have a Greek version of the Bible that is created. And in Greek, uh, the word that is used for likeness and image is the word icon, which is a slightly more familiar word to us. But this is where it gets interesting. Because icon in Greek, chosen for the Greek version of the Old Testament, starts to get at this idea of mirror images, and so when you start talking about humanity as an icon of God, as the image of God, icon of God, you're actually starting to talk about humanity as the mirror image reflection of God. We are created to be mirror images of God. This truth, this principle, this idea, man, it frames everything we do here at E3. Because we would say, this is the original vision for your life. That you are meant to be, every human being, is meant to be a mirror image, reflection of God. 
And we own up to the fact that a lot of us just have a brokenness, a struggle in our life where we don't reflect that. We're not quite mirror images. We're broken mirrors or we're just kind of fuzzy images. And E3 is a community that is dedicated to helping human beings recover their mirror image reflection of God. That's the only reason we exist is to help human beings become the reflections of God they're meant to be. Now, what I want to explore with our time today is the idea of what does that mean? When I say to you, you're meant to be the mirror image of God. You're meant to be restored to the image of God. The, the, the questions that I was thinking about this week was like, well, okay, restored to what? What does it mean to be restored to the image of God? Right? Another way you might put this is like, well, okay, well, if I'm meant to be restored to God, well, what is God like? What am, if, I'm, if I'm on this journey, what does God look like? So that I know maybe when I'm starting to reflect his character a little bit. So I'm gonna give you a couple answers that we would, uh, how we would reply here at E3. And first thing we would tell you is that, well, if you wanna know what God is like, you look at Jesus. If you wanna know what God is like, you start with Jesus. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the image, and in Greek, that is icon. Jesus is the icon, the perfect mirror reflection of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So if you're on a spiritual journey and you wanna be like, well, okay, well, what does this journey look like? I would say read the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And wherever you see Jesus as a loving, compassionate, wonderfully, radically loving person, that's the journey you're on. That's what God is like. Start with Jesus and he'll point you to God. Now, the other way that we would answer, which is slightly more theological, is that we would say, you wanna know what God is like? Well, we would also say God is community. His essential nature is community. You even see this in the text that we just read because it says this kind of odd thing. God said, let us make mankind in our image. So God at his nature, at his essential element is a community and we would describe it this way. It's called the doctrine of the Trinity. So we would say that our God is actually a plurality that is also together. And it starts with God the Father, right? The Bible just constantly refers to God as Father, Father, Father. But there's also God the Son, Jesus. And then there's God the Holy Spirit, all right? And all of these are individual expressions, but not separate from the other. So we would say the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have a unique expression of, of themselves but somehow they are also existing in a unity. They are perfect community, all right? So what does it look like to, uh, what does God look like? We would say, start with Jesus, and we would say, then look at community. But when you start to look at community, the implications for this day become very interesting. As I said, we have God the Father. We have God the Son, Jesus. Now, Holy Spirit is an interesting word in the Bible. There's a few words in the Bible that are used to label, to describe God's spirit. Now, before we get to them, 
Uh, anybody uh, taking Spanish? Caucasian people, I'm talking to you. So the thing about Spanish uh, and, and actually most other world languages is nouns have gender. Okay, Spanish 101. Anybody remember this? Right? Nouns have a gender that tells you kind of like what type of expression you're trying to get at. The biblical languages are the, are the same. Nouns have genders. They have masculine nouns, they have feminine nouns, and they have neutral or neutered nouns. All right? So... One of the biblical words, Old Testament, for God's spirit is the word nefesh. Let me hear you say nefesh. Sometimes it's used to uh, translate the essence of somebody. And so we believe that at one point, God literally breathes his spirit into Adam, into the man, into humanity. That spirit that is breathed into Adam is nefesh. It is the essence of God, all right? Now in the New Testament, the word for spirit is usually translated pneuma. This is Greek. Now, pneuma is neutral, neither male nor female. And it's a New Testament word mostly. So it means wind, it means spirit, it means breath, it means a lot of different things. But where it starts to get interesting for us today is that one of the other key Hebrew words for spirit is the word ruach. Let me hear you say ruach. Ruach on. So, ruach is feminine. Ruach is feminine. So one of the words that describe God as a community of people is a feminine noun. And it starts to kind of get at this idea, well, what is God like? And maybe you've grown up with, with images of, of God as a, as a father. And, 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 and as I said, there is God the Father and, and nothing gets taken away from that. And God the Son, Jesus, is clearly a man born in, in, in ancient Palestine. But when you talk about the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, all of a sudden you start to, start, you start to understand that, that the image or what you think about when you think about God is maybe bigger and more nuanced than what you might have grown up with. Particularly if you've only ever known a masculine, or I would dare say a hyper-masculine image of God. Like the angry God of the Old Testament. You know? So, this is what we're going to kind of unpack a little bit as we go forward. Let me just kind of show you some different examples of the, the Ruach, the feminine spirit of God. It is the spirit of God that's present, present uh, at Genesis 1, second verse of the Bible. The spirit of God is hovering over the waters. That is the Ruach spirit of God. Genesis, later on, the story of a guy named Joseph. Pharaoh is talking to Joseph and or asking, he's talking to people and he said, can we find anybody like this man, Joseph, in one whom is the Ruach spirit of God? Next slide, Exodus, I believe. God speaking to Moses and they're building the dwelling place of God and there's a craftsman that they find and God says, look, there's this craftsman and in this craftsman, I have filled him with the Ruach the spirit of God, not the nefesh, used other places in the Old Testament, but the ruach of God. Next slide. Numbers 11, 
Uh, this is when Moses is getting help. He's overwhelmed as a leader and he needs help from these 70 elders and the power of the Ruach was on Moses. And then it goes out, the, power, the Ruach goes out to the rest of the elders. Next slide. Deuteronomy 34, Joshua, the son of Nun, filled with a Ruach of wisdom, normally equated still with the Holy Spirit. Next slide. 1 Samuel 16, 13, a guy named Samuel anoints a guy named David. And when he anoints him, the Ruach Spirit of God enters King David. That same David later writes in Psalm 51, God, please do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit, your Ruach from me. Next slide. Nehemiah describing the acts of God, the story of God. He says, look, let me remind you people of God. Uh, God gave his Ruach to instruct us. Next slide. I love this slide. It's beautiful. The Ruach of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Let me kind of tell you where I'm going a little bit. I like that video that we watched. It was cute. I like shoes, by the way, too. If they were on sale, I'm like to, to buy them. But I wonder sometimes if our view of motherhood, or I dare say of like mothering qualities is too low. What I'm actually getting here is that mothering and, and some of the qualities that we would equate to with motherhood are actually expressions of God. According to the scriptures. So it's not just like, oh, it's nice that your mom loves you so much. What I actually want to suggest to us is that we realize that, that mothering or, or nurturing or things that we would traditionally maybe equate with femininity, I would say, are actually expressions of God. So I want to actually elevate our view of this day. Take it all the way up. And we're going to do that through the scriptures. And I've already showed you. Look, God's talking about his Holy Spirit. He can choose nefesh if he wanted to. But it's nefesh sometimes. It's ruach sometimes. What do you think about when you think about God? Is, it, is he kind of a tightly wound, masculine, angry dude? Or is there maybe a more nuanced understanding of God here? So... Let me introduce you to another beautiful Hebrew word. It's the word racham. Racham, say that. Um, Isaiah 46, this is God speaking to his people. And I have to unpack this because uh, this particular translation of the Bible, um, you have to kind of go a little bit beyond what's on the text. So Isaiah 46, God speaking, listen to me, you descendants of Jacob all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and I've carried since you were born, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Isn't that beautiful? Racham in Hebrew means womb. And though you can't see it in this translation, 
What's actually happening here in the Hebrew is the Hebrew in, in that third and fourth line, God is saying, I have carried you in my womb. And what's the womb represent? Like the place where life begins, the place of absolute safety for a child. And the God of the Old Testament is saying, people of God, I've carried you with a womb-like love. And how many people in this room long for a womb-like love of the feeling of safety and protection? The God of the Old Testament and this God that we run after and pursue loves us with a womb-like love. And the last time I checked, I've been to the doctor this year, I don't have one. God's saying you need to elevate your understanding. So, now, another aspect of this thing. Um, yeah, I, I had a pretty good dad in, in terms of encouragement. You know, he was a pretty typical dad. I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and, you know, we did stuff from that period of time. You know, he wanted to play catch. You know, he wanted to, uh, you know, get me a bicycles and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and he was pretty good also just uh, in terms of music and everything. But he was still a dad, and he was still a dad of that particular culture. And I don't know if maybe you've ever had an interaction with your father where, like, you just got done, like, pouring out your heart. You're like, oh, it's so, I'm so, so broken up about this thing. And, and, and your dad might go, that's, that's too bad. You know, and like, anybody ever had something like where you're just like, they woefully underperformed on the emotional side, right? <laughs> the ancient world was really no different. In fact, it was more polarized. The, the traditional father of the ancient world was just kind of like, man, he was out there doing stuff. He was getting it done. And, and typically what he said was kind of like law. He just kind of laid the law down in his household. Not real high on the nurturing scale in the traditional ancient world. All right? And some of us grew up in homes that weren't too different from that. But I want you to see the lengths to which God goes through in the Bible to express a different type of parenthood or even a different type of fatherhood. So um, Isaiah 42, uh, just read this from the screens. Listen to what God says. Again, he's speaking. For a long time, I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But God says now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I grasp. God says, like a woman in in childbirth. Now, next verse, Isaiah 49. God compares himself to a mother. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. So God is taking like, the, he's taking great lengths to say, look, there are things that in this culture, like mothers did, fathers didn't do too much. And God's saying, not only am I a father, but I can actually love you like the best mom you ever had. And it, and it comes out in this next passage that I wanna read with you. Uh, there's a little book in, in, towards the end of the Old Testament called Hosea. And it's this story of God and, and his people. They're wandering off after other gods. And if you ever wonder if God can have his heart broken, read Hosea. And listen to the way he describes his caring 
for his children. God speaking, Hosea 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the balls and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. Anybody ever had your mom band-aid a boo-boo? I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. Listen to this. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. I bent down to feed them. I suggest to you, in the ancient world, the father did not necessarily bend down to feed the children. But God says, let me, let me expand your understanding of fatherhood. And I am like a father who will get down on his knees maybe like your mother would have done and embrace you. It doesn't stop either in the Old Testament. Uh, we started with page one of the Bible, almost the very last page of the Bible, Revelation 21, again. Thinking about who the, the typical ancient Near Eastern father was, he was just the ruler of the roost. And what he said was law. And yet in Revelation 21, God says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. And so the God who is the father and the son is also capable of bending down like a tender mom and saying, let me just wipe those tears away. Let me wipe those tears away. Jesus isn't immune from this either. Jesus wants to expand our understanding. Jesus in Luke 13, he's talking about Jerusalem and he says this, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and, and stone those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together like, you know, like, um, I don't know, like a big robot, like a big general, like a big military guy. No, like a chicken. Jesus says like a hen. A mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Jesus could have picked any metaphor. And he said, no, 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 no. I wish I could do that like a mother hen. What do you think about when you think about God? What do you think about when you think about God? Is it just, is it just a one-dimensional I dare say masculine view. If it is, maybe you're missing out. I'm gonna pack a little bit of this, but this is the way I would summarize it. We started talking about like, look, God wants to restore human beings to his image, to his likeness. And then we said, well, what's the likeness of God? Well, here's the way I would summarize it. I would just say this, to be made in the image of God, to be restored to that image, to be rescued to be returned to that image, human beings need to embrace and explore the whole of God's being and identity as revealed in scripture. The whole of it. Now, how and why? Let's wrap up this way. First thing I would suggest to you uh, is 
I ran across this statement years ago. This is important because there's a principle out there that you become what you worship. You become what you worship. There's a, a psychological phenomenon called a psychological mirroring. The more fancy version of it is limbic synchrony. And what it just says is that there's a, there's a phenomena out there where, when you watch somebody and you, you focus on them and it seems to be somebody that, that is doing good and there's something about them that is attractive, you know what you start to doing? You start to mirror their behavior. In other words, I would say, you become what you worship. We focus our attention, our minds, our hearts, our songs on God. But what if you don't understand all of God and who he or maybe even parts of she is? What if you focus on God and you only understand half the story? Then you will only ever become half the person maybe that God wants you to be. Paul says it this way uh, to, to the church in Corinth. He says, look, we with unveiled faces are gonna stare at God's glory. And then as we stare at God's glory, we're gonna find ourselves changed. To which I would say, yeah, you become what you worship. And do we understand all of who God is? Now, let me be clear here. This is not about a guy becoming more like, I don't know, like becoming a woman or something like that. It's not that. It is the idea that if you only ever understand God in one term, like I said, maybe sometimes a hyper-masculine God, you miss the part that he's relational. You miss the part that he's nurturing. Look, my dad, and when dads do good things, you know what dads tend to do for kids? Dads call people out to adventure. Like when dads are firing on all cylinders, the dads are like, Get out of the nest. Go have an adventure because you can do it. They cheer you on. They nudge you a little bit further than what you could go. But that's not all of my upbringing. Sometimes I don't want to be pushed anymore. Sometimes you know what I want? I want just someone to hug me. I've shared this before. Look, my mother makes me cookies every Christmas. She's 80 and I'm almost 50. And come December, first week of December, she calls me, what kind of cookies do you want? And I go, uh, snickerdoodles. Because that's what I want my mom to do for me. So I'm just like, look, and look, let me just tell you how bad it gets. She sends them in their own Tupperware container and nobody else is allowed to have them, not her grandkids. They're mine, because I'm her baby, right? Like, I need both of that in my life. I need that push, but I also need, I just want some cookies, mom. And our growth as people to be restored into the image and likeness of God calls us into that reality of a God who can ch challenge us and push us and lay down like boundaries, you're about to make a big mistake. But also a God that says, I'll get down on my knees and I will put my cheek against your cheek and I will love and I will nurture you. We need that as human beings. 
The second way this is so critical is that we're also not just individuals. We're a community. And it matters for us to kind of look at who God is and to understand that like we have guys in this community and they are full expressions of God's likeness. Not perfect. But all of the ladies and women, they are full expressions of God's likeness too. And if we don't have one or the other, we are missing. We're missing. That's one of the reasons why we have a Pastor Lori. And she has the title, Pastor Lori. Because if this thing is just a boys club, with me, Mike Overstreet, Pastor Mark, guess what? You're only getting half the story. And we need Elizabeth. And we need Megan. And we need Lori. For us to do this together and say, we need to show everybody what life with God looks like. And he's a God that gifts people with completely different psychological makeup, sometimes completely different ways of looking at the world. And that is the beautiful thing about God. So what do you think of when you think about God? I hope that now maybe just through this time that you would say that when you think about God, especially if you're a woman, and there's a way that you see the world and there's a way that you think and there's a ways that you talk and sometimes you wonder, did God make me this way or is this part of my brokenness? I would say to you, actually, you were made in God's image. You were made in his likeness and to be woman is to be made in the image of God and we need it. And it's not second class. It's not less because God is not half less and half more. If you're a guy, I would challenge you to say, okay, well, maybe I'm a guy. Maybe there's some times that, that, that I actually don't want to be like the let's take the hill guy. Maybe sometimes I actually want to get down on my knees and hug my children. Is that okay? Oh, uh, yeah. Because we need more guys around here to understand that there's another part of God that is separate than let's take the hill, let's, let's just kind of like cheer everybody on, let's knock down some walls. We have a God who loves with a womb-like love. And we owe it to God as guys to figure out what that might look like. Jesus called uh, us to a community that looks different than the world. And he called a community together full of men and women that need each other to express the fullness of God. He said to his earliest disciples, I confer on you a kingdom. Jesus gives the kingdom to us to now lead and live out. And we've been running with that baton ever since. And so today we're here and we are a community that expresses and values the fullness of God. We're gonna to go to the table in just a couple minutes. And today I want you to realize that this table is the table of an alternative community. It is the table that says we need all of all of us. And so as you come, let this be a remembrance and, a, and an understanding 
of a God who is bigger than you could ever imagine, whether you're a man or a woman. He's bigger than you could ever imagine. And there's no end to understanding him. Amen? Amen. 